And uh, who remembers what I shared last week just regarding that? Um, anybody remember? Because <laughs> I want to carry on with that because I feel the Lord just hearing this morning, it's been in a sense the same flow. Pregnancy. <laughs> Chad heard something about pregnancy. There was some of that. <laughs> but there is. You are pregnated with the things of God. I know it's, it doesn't sound, but it's biblical. It's in the Word. And uh, I shared on... You know, as God called Abraham and he gave him an inheritance, he said, Abraham, get out from under your tent. And uh, his tent was a place of his dwelling. And he says, look, look out, look at the stars and begin to count them because see, that's going to be your inheritance. Uh, so, so shall your offspring be, really. And uh, so I didn't really title my message, but Stephen asked me and I thought, yeah, uh, you can call it counting stars. <laughs> Because really, that is what God has to do within us, to birth that promise for us to see it. He has, we have to get out of our comfort zone, isn't it? We have to get out of our normal dwelling, our everyday life, for God to say, come out from that, come and see what I have for you. And in a sense, that's what God has been preparing us for. Come out from the normal way of life. As a church, we're not called to live normally. We're called to live, super, to live supernaturally. And I, I don't say that... Uh, I say it very carefully, but I also say it because we're called to live in the Spirit. We're not called to live in the flesh. And uh, it is supernatural to do what we're called to do. It's supernatural. And, uh, and so we really come alongside the Lord as we do that. And so even today, like Chad's, Chad's saying, you know, are you willing to give it all? You know, and uh, stop counting dollars and start counting stars. Uh, someone should write a song like that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and I kind of shared that scripture in Isaiah 54 where it says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the, nations, make the desolate cities uh, inhabited. And... Uh, that's, a, that's an amazing scripture, and I know a lot of the prosperity kind of teachings use that, and God wants to give you a lot of money, and He wants to bless you. That's, that's really taken out of context. It's God wants to use you to go make disciples, to get an, His inheritance. Actually, it's, it's about the Lord that we're blessing in doing this. As we go and, and bring people to salvation, we're, getting, we're actually reaching the nations. That is our inheritance, people. And uh, I know... It's been hijacked by the prosperity movement to mean all about money. But actually, it's actually sometimes you've got to give up all of that to do this. And, uh, and uh, I want to share a little bit on that because that was the promise that God made with Abraham. He made a covenant with him. And that was the first covenant. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you an inheritance. And, uh, and you, you think of it, if it wasn't for that promise of the first covenant, you know, that God gave Abraham, you and I wouldn't be living in what God has for us today because of that. And uh, if you look at the Old Covenant, you, I don't know if you, you know, as you read the Old Testament, you, you look at this covenant that God makes with this guy and, um, and his people, really. It's a covenant that goes down the bloodline. And if you look at it, it's a very restrictive covenant from a surface level. As you, as you look at this, this is God making a covenant with a man, with a man. And it's very restrictive. He says, I'm going to bless your offspring. So in a sense, it can appear that it's kind of um, a bit prejudiced. You know, it's, I mean, this is to a nation. It's not, it's not to you and I. It's to them. 
And uh, it can sound very discriminant in some ways on the surface level. But as you begin to look deeper and you begin to look at this, I mean, what, what makes Israel so special? It, they were murderers, they were adulterers, they were people that stole, they were thieves, they were even idolaters, they even worshipped other gods, so it wasn't like, oh, but they kept their God, even though they did all those things, no, they didn't, they didn't, they forsake, forsaken God in all of that in the, as well, so what made them so special? Have you ever thought about that? What made them so special? And you think, well, wasn't this covenant, the first covenant, wasn't it restricted? And actually, as you begin to read deeper, you start realizing that the covenant that he made with Abraham was actually a covenant of a promise, but the fulfillment of that promise would come through Jesus, and that covenant came to all mankind, to all of us. And so it wasn't a restricted covenant. It wasn't a discriminant covenant. It was a large covenant. It was a covenant that included the world. And that's why we get John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And uh, 2 Peter 3.9 it says, God doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So would you agree with me this covenant isn't restrictive? When he says he wants everyone to come to repentance, that means God wants everyone to come to his heart. That's the heart of God. And, um, and yeah, so the first covenant brought the promise, but the second covenant, covenant brought a fulfillment of that promise. And, uh, yeah, and so, but it did start with the first covenant. It did start, remember, salvation came actually from the promise that God had made with Abraham already there. That was the promise. That was the promise of salvation from the seed. It's going to be a promise that's going to come that will redeem mankind. And uh, Jesus kind of says that, remember, to a Samaritan woman who isn't a Jew, who is totally actually a, a person that the Jews despise. They kept them from, a, from them, actually. They were very discriminant, the Jewish people. And Jesus shows this woman, and he says to her, you know what? Worship no longer is going to be in a place. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be in your place of worship, but it's going to be in the Spirit, and it's going to be in truth. And Jesus did say this thing, and he said, but salvation starts with the Jewish people. Salvation came through them. And so he didn't, he didn't, he didn't like, um, he included the fact that the Jewish people are important. The first covenant was important because salvation had to come through there through the line of Abraham. And, uh, and so, but you see, even as, as that, that understanding begins to grow, and you think, wow, you know, the gospel's a lot bigger. Even the Jewish people at the time didn't understand that. They didn't know the promise. You know, what did, what did God actually mean when he said to, to Abraham, I'm going to give you the nations of inheritance? So the prophets of old saw in part, and they knew in part, but they didn't understand the full picture of the promise. Okay, they, they, they saw a glimpse, and they read it, and they kind of overlooked you know, to all nations, you know, those kind of things kind of went past them, but it begins to materialize in Jesus, and they begin to see, oh, but this is inclusive of the world, and uh, we even see, I mean, Peter even gets a, a wake-up call, I don't know if you know the story, when he, when he goes to Cornelius's house, like Cornelius was a Gentile, and God gave him a dream, and he, this dream, Peter sees this whole uh, thing of animals, and God says, eat, and Peter's like, no, I can't do that, Lord, and it's not for us to do that, being the Jewish nation, and we're holy, and we set apart, and God says, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. But Peter has a revelation, and we see it in Acts 10. He actually explains that revelation. He says, 
In Acts 10, verse 34, did I give you that one? Okay, you can read it. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, perceive that God shows no partiality. And and I love my version. It says, uh, I know, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, partiality. So Peter's like, I didn't understand this. I I thought the, the gospel was just about us, the Jewish people. He says, but the Holy Spirit came and he broke out into the Gentiles, and I was actually trying to stop it. <laughs> you see, Peter was limited in his understanding, but he said, but, but how can I stop it? Because now I'm realizing God doesn't have favorites. It includes everyone. Why am I saying this? Because I think sometimes we even limit the gospel. We can be, a, okay, we, we, we're not a, a superior race of people. We are made up of different groups. But there is a sense in which we can sometimes feel, oh, you know, I can't give the gospel to It's just... That person won't receive it. You know, how many of you felt like that? You just, ah, it's just too big. That guy will never come to salvation. It's like my trust is in me, really. Have you ever felt like that? Or I'm a better person. I came to salvation through my good works, but that guy needs a miracle. You know, you kind of feel like that sometimes. Like I got there in another way. Come on, how did you get to Jesus? It was the gospel that broke out. It was the Holy Spirit that moved in your heart. He gave you the revelation. It wasn't your revelation. You're nothing special. I'm nothing special. God did the work. And, uh, and so, so we realize how large the gospel is. And, and then we read in, in Galatians 3, it's, uh, verses 28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And so you see how inclusive it is. And so I want to quickly go, Galatians 3, verses 6 to 8. It says, I'll give you that one, Alicia. Yes. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. You see, you see how the first covenant that God made with Abraham, actually included you and me. Because we are seeds of Abraham. Those who believe in Christ. Those who come to repentance. And that's why Jesus can actually say now, when he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of Jerusalem. No. No. All nations. It wasn't restrictive anymore. The gospel needed to go out, people. It needed to go out and... and, and so that revelation came, and, and, and he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Uh, Galatians 3.29, if you belong in Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. You guys are heirs according to the promise. Through that covenant that God made with Abraham, actually goes through to you. You are heirs. Now, what does it mean to be an heir? Well, I say to you, you're an heir. Can, you can interact, it's fine. <laughs> what does it air mean to you? You have an inheritance. There's something await. When the queen died, Charles was an heir to the throne. There was an inheritance waiting for him, the throne. It was his. And you know, an inheritance only comes through a death. And our inheritance came through Jesus Christ, through his death. And, and so we have a promise 
Isn't that lovely? We've got a promise. We've got a, an inheritance awaiting you and I. Sometimes we look at the gospel and we think it's just about getting people into heaven and, and that's it. No, there's actually an inheritance for each and every one of you. And what you do now, this is what's been coming from, from the stage, you know, that thing of are you willing to give it all? Because what you do now is going to affect eternity. Think of that. Your short little life, that little lifespan, your little bit of comfort that you're having now, think of your eternity is dependent on what you do here. And I might not be talking about salvation. I'm talking about your inheritance that God has awaiting us. How's your inheritance look? I don't know. But how much am I willing to give to the Lord here? And I, I feel a large portion of what we don't understand is because we don't sometimes see it, we don't actually try and possess that which God has for us. You know, you can have inheritance, but that means nothing until you actually take it. Now, I want you to explain this to you because this is what Israel faced. Uh, parts of, of Israel that didn't possess the land that God had called them to possess. And Deuteronomy 1 verses 8 and this is God giving them the promise. And he says this to them. He says, see, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. You see, you see what he's saying? Go and take the land. He says, it's yours. I promised you that. But I want you to go and take the land. I want you to take that inheritance. I want you to possess that land. So it's not just... Uh, thank you, Lord, and, and there's nothing. I've got to go and do something about it. He's given me an inheritance, and I need to possess it. Uh, Numbers 33, 53, it says the same thing. You are to take the possessions of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. The funny thing is, Israel hung around for 40 years in the wilderness because they weren't ready to take the land. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be hung, hanging around for 40 years before I start. I mean, I'm already 48 I don't want to be still living in the old things that, that God had for me, and, and his, things have kind of moved on, you know? Where's your inheritance? Forty years is a long time to be in the wilderness. And you know what? A whole nation of Israel, a whole generation had to die out because God couldn't use them to possess a land. He says with most, God was well, not well pleased. It was only Abraham and um, I think Oren that, that – well, not – Abraham, you know, it was um, – Joshua, yes, sorry, Joshua, what did I say? Abraham, oh, Joshua and Caleb, sorry, yes, I'm hitting a blank, I'm getting old. Joshua and Caleb and their families were the ones that could take the inheritance. Why? Because they had faith. They wanted it. They, they tore their clothes and said, let's possess the land, let's take it. They were so passionate for the things of God. They weren't willing to, to settle in the wilderness. And I want to ask even today, are we willing to settle for the mediocrity? Are we willing to settle for just the norm, the mundane? And uh, this is my observation, because I, I've been really just, like, looking at this. You know, to possess something, you know, God has promised us. I was, I was kind of looking at that scripture where, where God tells them to, to take it, to possess it. And I, I'm used, I'm, I want to look at that scripture in it's Genesis 1.28. And God talks to Adam and Eve, and he says this, Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, God gave that initial authority to Adam and Eve. Go and have authority to subdue it. I want you to take ownership. 
And you know what happened? I mean, that was over all the animals. What happens? Satan comes in. What does he come in as? A snake. A creature, right? One of the creatures, which Adam and Eve actually had authority over. Okay, they had dominion. God had given them the authority to rule over. But unfortunately, the subtlety of the enemy began to take and steal that authority that they had. Adam, sub, uh, he, he, he kind of let go his responsibility. He abdicated that and gave it to Eve, and she was busy conversing with the, with the snake. But even in that, she gave up the authority. Like, you know, God said we shouldn't do this. And he's like, ah, oh, did God really say, you know, you can go and do it? And eventually he became influencing them. Okay? They had the authority, but the snake was influencing them, the creature. You hear, you hear what I'm trying to say? God had given them the dominion. He'd given them the authority to rule. And, uh, and it's the same with us. And I, the reason I'm, I'm stating that, that same word that God uses for Joshua, he talks about subduing. He talks about taking the land. Now, Joshua rebukes Israel for not doing this. And that's where I want to go this morning because I feel this is where we are as a church, that we, we really need to take heed of the word of God this morning. And, uh, and so Joshua rebukes them. And I, I'm not saying I'm rebuking you or... I'm just saying, let's just take heed of the word that Joshua says to Israel. I don't want to face this year with God rebuking me like this. And so in Joshua 18, verses 1 to 3, and it says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. Okay, I just want to stop there. It says the land was subdued before them. They hadn't taken the land yet, but it was subdued before them. When I say something is subdued, what does that mean to you? Who knows that word? That's a bit Englishy. <laughs> it's lost its power. It's tamed. It's, it's, it's like, it's just there. It's like our dog when it's on its back, you know. It's just up for the grabs, you know, just I want to be tickled or whatever. But that's it, you know, a surrender, really. It's, it's ready for the taking. It's kind of like the word Jesus used when he says the harvest is ripe. It's ready for the picking. It's subdued. That, the land here is ready for the picking. It's subdued. It's just waiting for you. That, that's the kind of picture that Joshua's saying here. But he's rebuking them, and he says, verse 2, he says, But there remaining among children of Israel seven tribes which have not yet received their inheritance. So what are you guys doing? This is what God's promised you. Why are you still here? And uh, verse 3, you see, I, I want to share this because I, I feel it's important. You know, we can sometimes be deceived by thinking doing nothing is not a sin. Complacency can be sin. When God commands you to do something, it's called obedience. Not to do it is called disobedience. So there is no middle ground here. You're either doing what God has called you to and you possess the land, or you don't and you've been disobedient, okay? You see, with this disobedience, you can think, well, it's fine if I don't do it. But with that comes complacency. And I want to say the effects of complacency is either you possess the land or the land begins to possess you. You see, it's either you take authority and live in the light or you're going to be affected. You're going to be influenced. And so this is why Joshua is warning them. He says, go and take it. 
because you're going to begin to be influenced if you don't. And I want to say that to us as a church. There is no, there is no in a sense, vacuum. There's no just gray area where I can just be here and I'm all good. You know, Jesus even warned us in Revelation, if you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out my mouth because you don't have value in that. I've called you for a purpose. Live in it. And Joshua says this in verse 3, And then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God, your Father, has given you? Now, he was giving them an instruction, but I I, I find it fascinating. He's giving it to them in a place called Shiloh. Now, if you look up the word Shiloh, it actually means he who is to be sent. And it's 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 actually a messianic title. Okay, it's, it's a title actually given for Jesus. He was sent. Now, Jesus was sent by the Father. Okay, this is what I found quite fascinating. So, so these guys are just hanging around. Now, Shiloh wasn't really... Uh, Shiloh was the place that they, they kind of moved the ark to the, the tab, where they established the tab, tabernacle. So it was kind of like the, the holy city where God dwelt while they possessed the land. It was like there before Jerusalem was established, before the tabernacle moved to Jerusalem. Shiloh was the place. Shiloh was the gathering place. It was the meeting place. It was the holy place. It was kind of the capital, if you will. Um, but what I find fascinating about it is it's over here that you can think, well, isn't it fine if this is, this is our Shiloh, in a sense. This is our gathering place. This is our meeting place. Remember, God doesn't, he doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands, but he's among us. We are the tabernacles together, tabernacling, and we come together to worship him. But this, in a sense, this gathering can be a Shiloh, and you can think, well, this is okay. This is a safe place. nothing wrong to just worship God. No, it's good. It's lacquer. But you know what the problem with this is? This in itself is not enough. This in itself is not what God has called us in purpose to, to do. You know, one day we're all going to be worshiping God in heaven. So why can't he just rapture us now? No, because there's still a purpose that God has for us. There's still a land to be possessed. There's still a people that need salvation. And God's calling us, church. Do you hunger for his people? For those that he says that he he wants none to perish. And you know what the the scary part is? is You can think Josh Jen is this lovely, this is... This is where we grow family, and it's a place where we're discipled, and there is no other place that I can do that, and I I, I understand that. But this in itself is not enough. And you guys, even here, I know we're saying, like Chad, just announcing, just be prepared for this year. Are we prepared to expand? It's not about us growing numbers. It's about us reaching the lost and bringing it in, and it's going to get uncomfortable to possess the land. Some of us are going to maybe have to move out and be smaller, congregation, start over, whatever. But I'm just saying, be prepared to be shaken this year. For God to grow something, he has to stretch out, he has to expand, as that scripture says. And it's painful sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be relationships, oh, you know, I want to be with that person, or you know, however that looks to accommodate what God wants to do, let God do it. Okay, I want to encourage you, let God do it. We can be comfortable even in worship. You know that. We, we can just want to be in the presence of the Lord, and it's lovely. You know, Peter had that issue. Did you know that? Let me quickly read Matthew 17, verse 4. I think this is important because sometimes we think this is it. Worship is 
it. It's, the, it's, it's lovely to worship God, and it is to bring glory to His name. That is what we're called to do. But yeah, this is what Peter says. Then, then Peter comes. Okay, Peter and John, uh, they come, and they go to the mountain, and they go and witness Jesus on the mountain. It's called the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, now he sees Jesus manif- uh, transfigured. Uh, and he says, Lord, if it is good for us to be here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Should I give you the next part of it? Okay. Let me, sorry, I should have. That's my fault, Alicia. And he says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then he says this. Hear him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to the phone. <laughs> no, listen to him. So what I want to say here, Peter comes to this place, and it must have been an amazing worship session. You know, seeing Jesus transfigured, you see Moses, Elijah, and he says, God, I just want to build a tabernacle. Some of you virgins say, I just want to build a shelter. I just want to, this is where I want to be. I mean, come on, this is the presence of God. And he hears this voice from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. Why is this so important? I want to say this. God actually stopped Peter from even carrying on his conversation. It said that. It stopped him. He, Peter wanted, this place of comfort was lacquer. But, but there was more to this than that. God brought him to a place where he's saying, I want you to be obedient. It's not just a case of worship and enjoying the presence of God. It's a case of us being obedient to God. There's a scripture that says obedience is better than sacrifice. We can bring all the sacrifices to the Lord. We can declare his holiness. We can praise his name. But if you're not in obedience, you're not glorifying God. And that's what we're called to do. So let's not, let's not allow these shallow moments to make us feel that we're good in ourselves and we're obedient. It's, obedience is something different. Are we living in obedience? And uh, I want to just bring one more scripture just to kind of bring this thing and wrap it up to, to, to understanding that thing of obedience and living in the fullness that God has for us. Because here, God rebukes Israel because they never did take their land. Ephraim never took it. And uh, in Jeremiah 7, and God rebukes them. This is the funny thing. Is so I, like I said, you, you can have a sense in which I come to church and it's holy and God is in this and He loves me and it's all about me and my family. And there can be a sense in which you feel safe. But there's a false security in that church. This could be our Shiloh moment where we think, oh, everything's all right. But God judges Shiloh. This is what he says in Jeremiah 7, verses 1 to 4. Did I give you that one, Alicia? Okay, it says, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim, there's this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you Judah who enter in the gates to worship the Lord. Now, these guys are worshiping the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You know what he's saying is, don't put your faith, don't put your trust in this. Don't say, Josh Jane, Josh Jane, I'm Josh Jane. <laughs> That's enough. This can be a false sense of security for all of us. 
if we're not doing this, what is God rebuking them for? He's saying, if you don't amend your ways, if you don't change your ways, it's what you're doing, church, that's important. It's what you're not doing that's important. And uh, it says, for if you, have, uh, if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgments between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your, to your hurt, uh, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, and the land I gave to your fathers forever and ever. But you know what the frightening part of this, and I didn't give this to you, but on that same, in Jeremiah 7, go down to verse 15, and he says, but if you don't, if you don't do this, he says this, and I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, and then it says the whole posterity, which is the whole line, your whole future line. I'm not even going to take you as a tribe out. I'm going to take every single one after you. You won't have any more descendants of that line. That's pretty scary, huh, to say that. And now, I'm not trying to bring judgment on you. I'm not trying to bring harsh. But what I am trying to do, you know, the Bible does warn us, even in Revelations, you know, we it talks about that. It talks about God saying, you know, if, you, if you're not living in that obedience, I'm going to take your lampstand. I'm going to remove it from you. It's like God warning the church to live a life that he's called us to. Let's not live in mediocrity. Let's not live thinking just being complacent is enough. And so I want to just encourage you, are you ready for this year? Are you guys ready? Are you ready for the inheritance that God has for you? Are you ready to stretch your tents? And you know what? That might mean getting a call from an elder and saying, hey, are you willing to do this? Come with us. We want to go to Durban this year. Let's, well, let's go to Oatsuring. Let's go to, give us a place. Where do you want to go, Chad? America. <laughs> have you got faith for America? You need lots of faith. But we don't have faith in money. We've got faith in the Lord. He's our provider. He's our source. And so we need to look at Him. And so I want to ask you, prepare your hearts. Stretch your tents. It's not, a, again, it's not about numbers. We don't, it's about growing, bringing people to the Lord. It's about salvation. It's about the lost. Amen.